Chapter Two of the Women Who Make Our Novels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Friday. The Women Who Make Our Novels by Grant Overton. Chapter Two Alice Brown. From New Hampshire, Alice Brown responded july twenty nine nineteen eighteen to a request for something from herself about herself with a letter as follows i have been too busy in legitimate ways gardening cooking cursing the hun to write you a human document but these are some of the dark facts i was born in hampton falls new hampshire about six miles inland from the sea near enough to get a tang of salt and a sea turn of walking a word that looks like mist or twist the country there is slightly rolling, with hills enough to give nice little dips and climbs in the winding roads, and the farms are fertile. My people were farmers. We lived, not at Hampton Falls Village, but in a little neighborhood on the road to Exeter, and at Exeter all the shopping was done. It was one post office, and any neighbor who drove over brought back the mail for the rest. I went to the little district school until I was perhaps fourteen, and then went to the Robinson Female Seminary, Exeter walking back and forth every day except in the winter months and there i was graduated after which i taught several years in the country and in boston hating it more and more every minute and then threw over my certainty to write i did a little work on the christian register and then went to the youth's companion where for years i ground out stuff from the latest books and magazines and that's really all i own a farm here at hill which i don't carry on sell the grass standing and the apples on the trees i love gardens and houses i wish i could go round planning the resurrection of old houses and pass them over to somebody else and plan more and that's all now i ask you if any newspaper gent even with a genius for embroidery could make anything of that story god bless you sir i've none to tell gloomily yours alice brown in pencil i thought i should write about five thousand words but this is how it pans out. And it pans out extremely well, if a newspaper gent with no genius for embroidery, incapable indeed of knitting a single sock for a soldier, may express his satisfaction. For a woman of sixty who has no story of her own to tell, has certainly a lot of stories to tell of other people. Miss Brown has told them all. A very respectable list of writings will be found at the close of this chapter. New England Stories, Meadowgrass, English Travels, By Oak and Thorn, poems the road to castaly a study of stevenson written in collaboration stories for girls as the secret of the clan a play that among nearly one thousand seven hundred submitted won a ten thousand dollar prize children of earth and a number of novels of which the prisoner is the most notable are a main outline of her contribution to american literature she is without any question one of the half dozen best short story writers america possesses at this time her short stories have achieved a wider fame for her than anything else, and quite rightly. As a poet she does pleasant and sometimes interesting work, but it is impossible to say more. As a dramatist she wrote one play, the play that captured Winthrop Ames's prize, which was splendidly imaginative and even rather poetic, but as undramatic as a book play can be. It never had a chance of popular success. Does someone say that is nothing against it? It has everything against it. The play or the book that does not appeal to a wide audience has a fatal lack, and no amount of literary merit can make up for that lack. 
as a novelist miss brown can be absolutely unreadable if you don't believe that try to go through my love and i first published under the pen name martin redfield it is stevenson with the scotch left out again she can write a book like the prisoner which is as fine in its way as anything john galsworthy ever did in its way nothing derogatory we assure you the way is american not english that's all as miss brown would say it is perhaps unfortunate that in a book dealing with american women novelists it should be necessary to confine the consideration of alice brown to her novels but this disadvantage to her is no greater than the disadvantage to edna ferber or one or two others whose best work is not in the novel form since the restriction does miss brown on the whole a considerable injustice let us restrict a little further and consider only her best novel we shall then be doing as much as we can to redress the balance in her favor and perhaps more than we ought to but chivalry is not dead the prisoner is the story of a relatively young man who has just come out of prison and whose readjustment to the world he is re-entering is a keenly interesting subject the very first thing to be noted is the absolute originality and freshness of miss brown's conception of her story this perhaps innocently we believe to be without a literary parallel ninety-nine out of a hundred novelists in these days probably nine hundred and ninety-nine out of a thousand and of women novelists nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine out of ten thousand would see the released man in a single aspect the victim of society of course prison reform sociology thomas mott osborneism uplift the cruelty of the world in letting a man out after having once put him in for it is much more of a punishment to release a man from jail than to incarcerate him cruelty wrong cruelty injustice cruelty the way of the world cruelty now the basis of this general attitude is an incurable sentimentality and miss brown is not sentimental but sanative made so by a gift of humor and laughter she is it is true rather deeply interested in ideas as ideas and in the prisoner she has packed a few more than can be found in any american novel of the last dozen years the rude ideas that expressed by the prisoner or ex-prisoner himself as jeff says with a flash of insight prisoners learn to look within the real difficulty is not that a man is in prison but that he's outside the law and on the last page of the book the same idea is paraphrased put even more perfectly by miss brown who says of lydia that she knew by her talk with jeff and reading what he had imperfectly written that he meant to be eternally free through fulfilling the incomprehensible paradox of binding himself to the law this will not appeal to persons who have not been taught by gilbert k chesterton the art of lucid thinking the fact that a man is in prison is unimportant it is a mere symptom or consequence of the terrible thing which is the matter with him for his presence there is simply evidence that he put himself or got himself outside the law in pursuit of money or a woman or what not sort of game he has cut himself off from the community of mankind and it will be a miracle if he can get back into it the mere fact that he has committed a crime is very little one way or the other almost meaningless in itself if he is outside and so cut off in mind and spirit and imagination from all his fellows what is to them a crime will bear to him no immoral aspect whatever for what is a crime something that we agree must not go unpunished something that we agree but the man outside is not one of us any longer if he ever was at the risk of seeming to digress we must endeavor to make this very clear for otherwise the prisoner will be in its real import lost on the reader human nature being what it is 
there is no way to prevent a man getting outside if the bent takes him there are many ways in which we try to keep everyone in the fellowship for society is essentially a spiritual alliance and with a creed so broad that we make laws simply to state what is not in that creed the whole creed itself being entirely beyond our powers of expression but there is no sure way to keep men from getting outside the fellowship and once they have got outside the real problem is to get them back in they can get back in only voluntarily and of their own free will and only by binding themselves to the law law not laws what they must accept is the inexpressible creed of fellowship and their acceptance of that carries with it an acceptance of the things barred by it the things we make laws about and the only hope of getting a man who has got outside to accept the creed and re-enter the fellowship is to convince him that only by doing so can he achieve freedom that only by binding himself to the unwritten law can he become eternally free if you can make him see that you have salvaged him for society as the surest way to make a man see a thing is to let him discover it for himself we have invented prisons do not be deceived by the stupid notion that prisons are to punish men or even to protect society from their evil depredations prisons are the result of a deep very sensible entirely unshakable piece of knowledge which we collectively possess namely that the man who has put himself beyond the pale must himself bring himself within it again to that end we enclose him in four symbolic brick walls we give him no physical or bodily escape and so after a time he makes a mental escape and finds himself still essentially free though physically in jail so at last he comes to understand and accept the paradox that he can be free in no other way ever the idea deserves expanding but the reader will probably consider that we have intruded unpardonably with it in this chapter anyway however we can see no other means of making clear the philosophic basis of miss brown's fine novel of its other features we shall not even bother to speak it is well written of course it offers persons and situations that are both metaphysical and melodramatic and therefore in this indissolubility of thought and feeling lifelike amazing comical thought-provoking why heap up adjectives the character drawing is simply superb and a better executed figure than madame Beatty cannot be found in the whole range of american fiction miss amabel is hardly inferior weedon moore alston choate the rigid and motionless but perfectly well grandmother in bed rhoda knox there is no gainsaying the fidelity of these people to observed facts and existences if henry james had madame Beatty's necklace in place of his golden bowls and sacred founts his art would have been expanded on really worthy material but he could not nor could anyone have done more with it than alice brown has done on the strength of this one story miss brown must be placed very high on the role of american novelists at least as high as we place among the men owen wister by reason solely of that incomparable novel of the west the virginian books by alice brown fools of nature meadowgrass by oak and thorn life of mercy otis warren the road to castley the day of his youth robert louis stevenson a study with louise imogene guinea tiverton tales king's end 1901 margaret warner 1901 the mannerings high noon paradise the county road 1906 the court of love 1906 rose macleod 1908 the story of theresa 1909 country neighbors 1910 
John Winterbourne's Family, 1910. The One-Footed Fairy, 1911. The Secret of the Clan, 1912. My Love and I, 1912. Vanishing Points, 1913. Robin Hood's Barn, 1913. Children of Earth, 1915. Bromley Neighborhood. The Prisoner, 1916. The Flying Teuton, 1918. Published by the Macmillan Company, New York. Some of the earlier books by Houghton Mifflin Company, Boston. End of Chapter 2. Recording by Amanda Friday.